This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Today I want to talk about how God's purpose for your life and his plans for your life are fulfilled The title of my message is, We Are a Prophetic People. We are a prophetic people. The first week, the message was about us being a commissioned people. The second week was about us being a courageous people. Last week was was about us being an equipped people. Today is about us being a prophetic people. Are you catching the theme and the thread that's being woven together through this story? We're going to pick up with Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read just a few verses today. Beginning in verse one, it says this, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, that's a fun word to say, as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now pause with me a moment. Jericho was the very first city on the other side of the Jordan that they were going to encounter. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, verse two, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. Now here we discover that Joshua has sent not one, but two spies into Jericho to spy out the land. And as the text tells us, they meet this woman named Rahab which the Bible tells us was a prostitute. And that's kind of an interesting and important detail that the Bible points out. As an aside here, this whole notion that the Bible is a patriarchal document set up by men to oppress and hold down women is actually incredibly bogus and incredibly false and incredibly lacking. Because what you're going to see here today is that the the hero of the story are not the spies. The hero of the story is not Joshua. The hero of the story is a prostitute named Rahab. Are you with me? So the king of Jericho finds out about these spies and apparently they weren't that great at espionage because they were made immediately. I don't know if they didn't wear a disguise or if they just looked so different being from the tribe of Israel than from the the tribe that was there indigenously within that land. But they're immediately made and the king orders that they be brought out from Rahab's house. So they not only know that they're there, but they know exactly where they are, which is interesting. And so they know who these guys are and where they've been hanging out. And then in verse four, it says this, but the woman had taken, meaning Rahab, Rahab had taken the two men and hidden them, say hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out and I do not know where the men went. So pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. Verse six, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order the roof. Now, at first glance, this particular date, this particular detail about Rahab hiding these two men is kind of easy to overlook, right? It's kind of easy to assume. But if you read on, you discover that this was actually a very key and pivotal moment in the history of Israel, in the history of Israel taking ground at Jericho. 
you discover that this was not only a pivotal moment, but what I'm going to call today a prophetic moment for Rahab, for her family, for the spies, for Joshua, and for all the people of God in their pursuit of taking ground in the land of Canaan. Now, let's skip down to verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know. I want you to underline that or swipe that or highlight in your, that in your notes or in your Bible if you're taking notes. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. Now, pause with me. How did she know? She wasn't of Israel. She didn't walk with them in the desert. She wasn't with them at Sinai. She didn't uh, grow up an Israelite. How did she know this? She wasn't of the people of God. She was of a different nation and tribe. And on top of that, she was a prostitute. She wasn't traveling all over the place. She wasn't involved in trade. She was a prostitute, which meant that she would most likely have heard the stories about what God did with the Red Sea and in Egypt from men that visited her at night, which is interesting. Rahab, historically speaking, is a bit of a scandalous figure, and yet out of her mouth comes the prophetic announcement of what God is going to do for Israel. Here it is. I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know it, Rahab says. And you know what this tells me, church? This tells me that God can and will and does use anybody. God will use anybody to deliver his word. We see evidence of this all throughout the scriptures. People that didn't have their act together people whose lives weren't even necessarily submitted to the king or submitted to God, that find themselves in situations where God moves on them in a powerful way and out of their mouth comes a prophetic word or utterance to the people. More on that in a moment. There's something else about this story that I think is easy to overlook, and it's, it's the word of the Lord to the spies that's given here through Rahab. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. Where have we heard this before? Where have we heard this? We heard this in chapter one. Let's go there. It's the same word that God had already spoken to Joshua. Joshua 1, verses 2 through 3 says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. This is God speaking to Joshua. You and all this people into the land that I am giving to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. So God had already told Joshua that he, being God, was going to give the people the land. That was already promised and spelled out pretty clearly. God was never going to leave Joshua. He was never going to forsake Joshua. That's what he said. So why the need to then send spies out? Why the need to test God in this? Why send two men in secret out under the cover of night into the land? And I, I think the, the answer is pretty obvious. Joshua wasn't sure. 
Joshua might have been a little afraid. Perhaps Joshua wasn't yet the strong and courageous leader that he would become. But lest we be a little unfair to Joshua, don't we do the same thing? Don't we find ourselves in one moment of prayer hearing the voice of the Lord or reading something in scripture that speaks so loudly to us that we can't ignore it or deny it? And we think, wow, God, this, that was a word for me. And then three minutes later, we're freaking out. Three minutes later, we're getting anxious. Three minutes later, we're stressed out. Three seconds later, we're like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And what do we do? We start kind of scouting out the situation. We, we start looking at the obstacle in front of us. We start measuring it and trying to figure it out. We start wondering about how, how big the problem might be or how difficult it is. And then maybe we start thinking about a plan B or a way out if things go bad. Anybody else do that? Am I the only one? Come on. Don't we all essentially do what Joshua did? Yes. Which is why we need the prophetic word of the Lord in our lives. This is one of the major points that I want to point out about the prophetic. It both encourages us, next slide, and it reminds us of what God has already said. I suffer from short-term memory loss in the same way that you do, in that you can read something over and over and over and be told something over and over and over and still forget which is why God puts his word in the mouth of the prostitute to remind God's people of what he already said he was going to do. I'm going to give you the land, Joshua. I'm going to give it to you. And we, we see how Rahab was used prophetically to speak this to the men through the spies later down in verse 23. Let's skip down there together. And it says, then the two men returned, the spies returned, and they came down from the hills that they were hiding in. And they passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They take Rahab's words right out of her mouth and present them as if they're their own. That's not fair. They didn't say Rahab told them that. They owned it. Can I tell you this? The reason they owned it was because it was from the Lord. That's how strong a prophetic word can be and is when you grab ownership of it in your life. It doesn't matter if it came from your children. Come on, Jesus said, out of the mouths of babes, I have ordained praise. It doesn't matter if it comes from your boss at work who you don't get along with. It doesn't matter if it comes from somebody who isn't even a Christian or a believer. I shared that story of what happened with Candace a couple weeks ago. And, and the, the, the reality is this, God will put his word in the mouth of anyone that can be used of him. That's how powerful his word is. It transcends the container. It transcends the flaws of the container. Have you guys heard the expression, don't shoot the messenger? The reason why we have that expression is because a lot of times when the message comes to us, we don't like the person that's saying it. Or we look at people like myself, Pastor Jason, who's not perfect, who has flaws, and we put them up on pedestals. And then when he, they make mistakes, we go, oh, well, the, wh what about the word? What about all the truth? What about all those things? You guys, it doesn't diminish or take away from God's word being true. Now, I'm going to do my best to live a life worthy of the calling I've received, but the truth is, don't disparage the word of God because you've been hurt by churches or people or Christians or believers who've done stupid things. 
And don't reject the prophetic just because maybe once or twice in your life someone got a little weird or wonky with it. Actually, the New Testament tells us that if you receive a prophet in the spirit of the prophet, you'll actually get the prophet's reward. There's a reward for receiving the word of the Lord regardless of how it comes to you. And here the people, the spies, have taken Rahab's words and they've delivered them to Joshua as their own. And Joshua sees this and hears this and something's activated on the inside of him that gives him the strength and the courage to say, pack your bags in three days we're going over. This is cool, you guys. And I want to say that not only does God's word encourage us and remind us of what he's already said, but it confirms in us what he wants to do with it. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of a detour for us to realize it, amen, to wake up to this. Sometimes God has to place his word in somebody else's mouth that you'll actually listen to. Parents, you do this all the time. You have your, I'm angry at my kid's voice, and you have your, I want to get their attention voice, and you have their, I love you voice, and they're all very different, aren't they? Use different voices to communicate different things. So the other day, <laughs> confession time, my English bulldog and one of my Alaskan Malmutes got into a fight. And how many of you know that at that moment I couldn't go, now children, please cut it out. Now, now guys, I really want you to stop biting each other in the face. I had to yell, knock it off, get apart, right? To, get, to break the cycle of what they were going through. What was I doing? I was using a different voice to communicate the same message. And that's essentially what God does here with Rahab through the spies to Joshua so that Joshua can be reminded of what God already told him in chapter one and so that he can mobilize the people to actually cross over the Jordan, get into Jericho and trust that the Lord is gonna give them the land. Now, why this encourages me is because I know that there are times in my life where I need someone else to come along and to say, Jason, you need to, you need to get it together, man. And you need to step up and you need to trust God because what you've been praying for and what you've been believing for is here, but it's not going to be easy. And sometimes you guys need that voice in your life as well. And sometimes you need someone to come alongside you and, and see things and speak to things that other people can't because they're too familiar with you. This is why when Jesus was ministering in his own hometown, it says that he could do no major miracles because the people were too familiar with him. They'd heard his voice. They're like, isn't this the carpenter's son? Yeah, we know this Jesus of Nazareth. No, they didn't. But they had become so familiar with a God they hardly knew. And as a result, he was limited in what he could do through their faith. This is why we need the prophetic, because the prophetic can come to us through people. It can come to us through his word. It can come to us in a song. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm ministering and I'm, and I'm leading worship, the Lord will just begin to kind of download thoughts. And sometimes it's pictures or sometimes it's melodies or sometimes it's, it's words that want to emphasize something that God wants to do in the now that he wouldn't do through anybody else but me in that moment. And he wants to do that in your life and through your life, if you would trust him with it. Sometimes we get scared because we're like, well, what if God, you make me do something that makes, that makes me, uh, you know, tarnish my reputation? What if I make a fool out of myself? Can I let you guys in on a little secret? God doesn't care about your reputation. He don't. And here we are trying to, you know, keep it all together. 
Yeah, I just impress people with our spirituality and power. And God's like, no, you fool. Like, I see all of that. I'm not impressed with that. That's not what I'm looking for. But make no mistake, he, he, he doesn't care about your reputation. He cares about his. Church, could we be a people that would grab a hold of this and be more concerned about the reputation of Jesus in this community than our own? Could we be more concerned about the reputation of Jesus than our political interests and parties? Could we be more concerned about the reputation of our king of glory than us getting our way and all things working out the way we wanted them to? I'm wondering if I'm talking to anybody today that shares that conviction. Now, maybe you're here and you're wondering, you know, Pastor Jason, this is a great story and all. I mean, this is cool. Good for Joshua. Good for Rahab. Good for the people. But how does this apply to my life? In other words, why should I even care? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'll tell you why. I'll give you a couple reasons. I want to focus on three here and then we'll close. There are three reasons I believe this story is particularly significant for you and for me and for us as a church. Number one, because God's plans are not our plans. God's plans are not our plans. Proverbs 16, 9 says it this way. The heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Could it be that the Lord had a bigger plan for Rahab and these spies than they even knew? Could it be that God already knew what Joshua was gonna do and had already set him up to receive this word of confirmation through Rahab from an unlikely source? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to it a little bit later in our series with Joshua, but ultimately Rahab and her family are saved. They're spared. Do you guys remember the story? She ties the little scarlet thread on the window of the wall of the city in the room that she lives in. And when they come around the gates of Jericho and everything falls, her wall doesn't go down. It's pretty amazing. Not only that, but later we learn that Rahab marries into Israel. Her life is grafted in to the olive branch of Israel and she becomes a great, 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 great relative of Jesus. Oh my gosh, you guys. I could get off on that. I'm gonna try really hard not to, but I just wanna make two points about it. Matthew chapter one tells us the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse five, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. There it is. God incorporates Rahab into his story. A prostitute, a scandalous woman. And God wants her at the center of his story for his redemption plan for the world. Oh, that's amazing to me. And then we see how the New Testament writers actually reflect on her in Hebrews 11, verse 31. It goes on to say this about Rahab. By faith, so the, 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 writers of Hebrew, or the writer of Hebrews looks back on this incident and now sees that she was operating in faith. The Holy Spirit being on the writer says, no, 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 what she did was an act of faith. And by this act of faith, she, being a prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
So God changes her story and destiny despite her unsavory past. And he changes Joshua's destiny and story despite his lack of trust. And he changes Israel's destiny despite their continual stubbornness and sin and pride. And the story goes on and on and on, which is actually good news for us today because it means that if he did it for them, he'll do it for you today. For those of you that are watching online or listening to this, God will do it for you as well. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you feel disqualified or overlooked or unworthy or not strong or not courageous enough for the task God's put in front of you, God will do it for you because he has a plan for your life and it's good. As I said a few weeks ago, God's plan for our life is good and it's good because God himself is good in his character, in his essence, in his nature. God is good. And so he expresses his goodness through the plans that he has for our lives. If we could get the revelation of this and be fully convinced of this, could you imagine how differently we would approach each day? Well, Lord, you have me here at this job. I don't really understand the purpose of it. In fact, I don't really like it. But if I trust that your plans for me are good, then I can trust that I can discover and find goodness in this moment. And that I can be a source of goodness for others. The Bible says, do everything as unto the Lord. Why do they say that? Because God's plans for us are good. So we can trust him with our lives. Amen? So God, his plans... They're not our plans, but they're good. Number two, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses eight through nine. We're gonna move quickly here. It says it this way, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Does it get any more blatant and obvious than that? Some of you are like, I wonder if God thinks the way that I do. Nope, nope. Now, for those of you who are married, you probably get this, okay? You've wrestled with this. Uh, there are people that exist in the world, are you ready for this, ready for the shocker, that don't think like you. And God's one of them. <laughs> Listen to what the scriptures say about God's thoughts. Psalm, Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Psalm 144 verse three, oh Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? The truth is God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're better. His thoughts towards you are good. His plans for your life are good. And this should encourage some of you today because I think sometimes we have this idea that God is mad and angry, and he's just waiting for us to screw up. Anybody else wrestle with this? Yeah. You know, you know why we wrestle with it that way? Because some of us had parents that were like that, or we had teachers or people in our life that were just kind of waiting for us to screw up. But that's not God. His thoughts towards you are good. How vast is the sum of them? How precious are they? More than could be told are his thoughts towards you. And I'm not here to hype you up or give you some motivational speech today. I'm just here to point out what the Bible is screaming at you each and every day. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. It's good. And his thoughts towards you are good. And number three, God's ways are not our ways. 
Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9 goes on to say this. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Could it be that God actually has a different way that he wants to work in our life than what we expect? Yes, teacher. Yes. His ways are different. And yet they are so much higher than ours. The reason I think we struggle with this part is because inwardly we still crave control over our lives. And so we want to express life according to our ways when God's like, would you just trust me? My son, would you just trust me, my daughter? I got this figured out, but it's going to look a little different. And the way is going to be different. The methodology is going to be different. The path might be different. You might get there through a different route that you didn't think you were going to go down or through. Have I spoken to anybody today? Have I included everyone in the room? Absolutely. The reason we struggle is because we want control and because inwardly, or excuse me, because inwardly we still crave control and because we're limited and we're finite creatures. We're limited. I mean, as, as clever as uh, Elon Musk is, God's ways are still higher. Right? As smart as Stephen Hawking thought he was, God's ways are still higher. As rich as Jeff Bezos is, God's ways are still higher. Uh, as thought-provoking as Gandhi might have been, God's ways are higher. As, as uh, amazing as your pastor is, God's ways are higher. And I could go on, but I won't. The point is this. As great as we think we are, as clever as we think we are, as awesome as people might assume us to be, our ways will never compare to his. People of God, his plans are not our plans. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And we see this exemplified in this story with Rahab, Joshua, and the spies. Ultimately, the main reason God speaks to us prophetically is because he loves us. This is why he wants to speak to us in this way and work and operate in our lives in this way. Because he loves us, not because he... He wants you to be scared or nervous or freaked out. It's because he loves you. Because he loves you, he wants to encourage you. He wants to build you up. And sometimes he does that by giving you just a little glimpse of what he's up to. How many are thankful for when the Lord just kind of pulls back the curtain enough? Right? It's not very long. We're like, wait, no. God's like, hey, I just want to give you a little sneak peek. It's like going to the movies and you get that trailer. It's just, you know, 60 seconds or whatever. Just long enough to go like, oh, wow. Ooh, that looks good. That's what God does when he moves prophetically in our life. It's like this, oh, wow. That's good kind of moment. So let's be a people that endeavor to not just welcome the prophetic, but operate in the prophetic. How do you do that? Well, the Bible gives us a very simple recipe. Are you guys ready for it? It says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Some of you are like, ah, I don't know if I could operate prophetically, Pastor Jason. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle. I'm not. Hey, you don't have to be because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So here it is. Anytime that you testify to Jesus, point to his goodness in your life, you're prophesying. Anytime that you're encouraging somebody and what Jesus wants to do in their life, you're prophesying. Anytime that you, you are given the opportunity to encourage somebody and build them up and, and point them to Jesus, you are prophesying. That's it. 
So here's the cool part. All of us can do this. All of us can do this. For those of you that have put your hope and your trust in Jesus, you can do this. As a people, as a church, we can do this. Do you believe that today? Did you receive that? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the promise. We thank you for your prophetic. We thank you, Lord God, that you encourage us through your word, sometimes through unlikely sources, God. We thank you that in these next few days and weeks, Lord, that we would encourage somebody, that we would bring courage to someone, that we would, we would affirm them and love them the way that you affirm and love us, Lord, that we would just be a conduit through which your power and your presence could flow prophetically into the life of another. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come into this space today and to worship you and to glorify your name and to encounter your life-giving presence because, Lord, we know that it's your presence, it's your life, it's your word, it's your Holy Spirit that changes us. May we be a people, Lord, that don't just walk out of here and slip back into faulty thinking, but may we be a people that advance and take some ground this week whether it be at our, on our jobs or with our family members or for those we're praying for or for those that need a miracle or that need healing, God, may we see your life advanced in our life, God, as we take ground by faith. And may we, Lord, welcome the lost and the least. May we go after the hurting. May we help those that are lost become found because, Jesus, that's what you did for us. All of us were at one point in time Rahab. And you showed us mercy and you showed us grace and you showed us love and you showed us forgiveness. So may we now go and extend that to others in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.